The following message was given at Trinity Bible Church in Powell, Wyoming. Chapter 20 this afternoon, our passage is Proverbs 20, verses 15 through 30. Continue to worship the Lord as He meets with us through His Word. We trust that that's what He's doing, that God is transforming us through His Word as we hear the preaching of His Word. Proverbs chapter 20, verses 15 through 30. Let's now hear God himself address us through his holy and inspired word. Proverbs 20, beginning in verse 15. There is gold in abundance of costly stones, but the lips of knowledge are precious jewel. Take a man's garment when he has put up security for a stranger and hold it in pledge when he puts up security for foreigners. Bread gained by deceit is sweet to a man, but afterward his mouth will be full of gravel. Plans are established by counsel, by wise guidance waged war. Whoever goes about slandering reveals secrets, therefore do not associate with a simple babbler. If one curses his father or his mother, his lamp will be put out in utter darkness. An inheritance gained hastily in the beginning will not be blessed in the end. Do not say, I will repay. Wait for the Lord and he will deliver you. Unequal weights are an abomination to the Lord and false scales are not good. A man's steps are from the Lord. How then can man understand his way? It is a snare to say rashly it is holy and to reflect only after making vows. A wise king winnows the wicked and drives the wheel over them. The spirit or breath of a man is the lamp of the Lord, searching all his innermost parts. Steadfast love and faithfulness preserve the king, and by steadfast love his throne is upheld. The glory of young men is their strength, but the splendor of old men is their gray hair. Blows that wound, cleanse away evil, strokes make clean the innermost. Parts. This concludes the reading of God's holy and inspired word. May God now be pleased to add his blessing to it by his Holy Spirit. Well, one of the normal aspects to children's immaturity is that they act without thinking. They suddenly stick their finger in your food, you turn the corner and you find them licking the door handle or licking the bottom of their shoe, you suddenly realize it's way too quiet, and that usually means there's a bunch of stuff in the toilet, or they walk around with only one sock on, and you ask them, where's your other sock? I don't know. And then you go to the bathroom and find that the soap dispenser is wearing the sock. Yeah, I have a friend who um, posts things he says now as a dad, and he says things like, You are already sleeping with the mop. You don't need the guitar in your bed as well. No, you don't get a treat for putting gum in your hair. Don't sidekick while jumping off the toilet. But this is simply normal immaturity of children. And this is why I try to instill in my kids, don't just act, think. And of course, I have to first start with myself. be a good example of that. And this is actually what Proverbs is teaching us. To think 
before we act. Don't just act, but think. And of course, we may know not to sidekick off the toilet, but we still need to learn a lot when it comes to sound thinking before we act. So three aspects of life where we need to not just act, but think. Wealth is the first one. The second one is words. The third one is wrath. So first, wealth. Verse 15, there is gold in abundance of costly stones, but the lips of knowledge are a precious jewel. So gold and other costly stones are obviously very precious and valuable. And there's an abundance of them. However, there is something rare and more precious, and that is lips of knowledge. This is someone who speaks what is true, what is wise, what is good, what is edifying. And even as Proverbs 27 will talk about, wounds that aren't easy to hear. But it says there in Proverbs 7 that a friend is one who wounds and is faithful. But when it comes to an enemy, he multiplies flattery. But this is a precious jewel that we should seek above all wealth. In verse 16, take a man's garment when he has put up security for a stranger and hold it in pledge when he puts up security for foreigners. So this has come up several times in Proverbs. That's giving us an indication that we should pay attention to it. A man who puts up security for a stranger is somebody who says, I will take on the liability of this person's debt should they default on it. And to do that for a stranger is very risky. But the reason they would do that is that they could charge a fee. And all they had to do was take a bet, basically, and gamble that that person will pay. And why they continue to collect the fee for putting up security. But taking on this kind of responsibility for someone who he doesn't even know is very foolish. It costs him his home, his property, really everything he owns. And so because he cannot be trusted with such foolishness and such uh, foolish behavior and probably end up losing everything, this proverb is saying, don't do business with him. Don't do anything with him. Even lend to him unless you take something in pledge, usually an outer garment back in that day. Bottom line, this is saying, be careful how you do business with such a person because he is not wise. And verse 21 is somewhat related here. An inheritance gained hastily in the beginning will not be blessed in the end. Now in the ancient Near East, an inheritance is gained by receiving something from the father. And if the father gave it too soon, that child who is not wise enough yet would probably blow it. And so that was gained too hastily. But inheritance can also have a broader meaning and refer to something that one gains. Gaining something quickly through means such as gambling, back in that day putting up security for a stranger to gain quick fees, or in our day, gambling rather than working will not be blessed. It is not God's means. Another way that is not God's means is in verse 17. Bread gained by deceit is sweet to a man, but afterward, his mouth will be full of gravel. So bread gained by stealing, by being deceitful, dishonest, 
taking advantage of people, not doing to others as you would have them do unto you, may be sweet to begin with. You gain much money. You have a fat wallet. You can do what you want with it. However, in the end, it's like eating gravel rather than sweet honey. It brings an afflicted conscience that must be silenced with many justifications and constantly turning a blind eye to your sin, hardening your heart towards sin. It could bring many pains and distresses and ruin one's life through law and lawsuits when they come. And this kind of bread is used as an analogy for indulging in sin. So this is even broader than business practices. It's what Lady Folly promised in nine in Proverbs 9.17. Bread eaten in secret is pleasant. It's the promises of sin. Sin promises true living, true blessedness, true satisfaction, peace, happiness, and joy. But in the end, it is like eating a mouthful of gravel. It may seem pleasant for the moment, but then it afflicts and torments the conscience and weighs it down. And weighs the person's spirit down. A second aspect of life where we need to not just act but think is with regards to our words. And we begin with receiving the words of counsel from others. Verse 18. Plans are established by counsel, by wise guidance, war is waged or wage war. So wisdom is to deliberate, it's to think, it's before one acts. And this involves not just thinking for yourself, but receiving the counsel of others, deliberating with others. Proverbs has brought this up time and time again. This is not merely the case for some foolish young man. This is also the case for even kings and rulers. Even they need wise counsel, especially with making big decisions such as going to war. And even though we're not rulers going to war, we are still to seek counsel and guidance. We are to humbly receive the input of others. Because in our foolishness and pride, we place the weight on our own thinking, our own understanding, believing ourselves to be sufficient. We believe that others are more likely to be wrong than ourselves. Or we don't care to hear another's point of view because we're so self-willed. We don't want to hear them tell us something that perhaps we don't want to hear. They might tell us that we should not pursue the desire that we want to pursue. But the Proverbs constantly calls us out of ourselves and to be more ready to receive counsel from others than lean on our own understanding. But we are not to receive certain words from certain people. That's verse 19. Whoever goes about slandering reveals secrets. Therefore, do not associate with a simple babbler. This is a gossip who goes around and spreads dirt on others. They delight in others' unrighteousness and failures and can't wait to tell others about it. That is good and exciting news to them. The good news that they are eager to tell others is not what Christ has done to cover their sin, but rather others' unrighteousness that they want to uncover to act as a covering for themselves so that they can feel more righteous about themselves. Therefore, it's good news when they hear bad news about others. But this person reveals secrets. 
things that are embarrassing and shameful towards others. And so we are to avoid this person, not only to not be gossips ourselves, but to not participate by hearing that bad report. And we are to not entrust anything to them because they will go around revealing secrets. Then verse 20, if one curses his father or his mother, his lamp will be put out in utter darkness. So to curse here is not simply making a snide remark or talking back, as sinful as that is. It means to renounce one's parents or to wish evil on them. Like saying, I wish you were dead. Exodus 21.17 says that this merits the death penalty. And as far as I know, this is the only time that somebody receives the death penalty according to God's word or should receive the death penalty by virtue of only speaking rather than physically acting. And so the proverb here says that God will punish this one who speaks this way against their parents in that their lamp will go out, which is a metaphor for the person's life coming to an end. Now there was a mom, that another pastor was telling me about this, this happened a couple months ago. Now there was a, a mom who asked her adult son out for lunch because she really wanted to share the gospel with him. She wanted to, she was concerned about the way he was living. So went out to, to lunch with him and shared the gospel with him. And his response was at lunch to raise a certain finger at her. Uh, how disrespectful uh, that was not only to his mom, but to his, but to his God. He was dead within a week. And, you know, we can't authoritatively interpret providence, but given what Scripture says about God not being mocked, in Proverbs like this, I'd at least want to suggest the warning that we don't put God to the test. In verse 25, it is a sneer to say rashly, it is holy, and to reflect only after making vows. Again, this refers to acting, in this case using words, before thinking. This this is referring to consecrating something with an oath. And when you consecrate something, you're calling it holy. You're, you're saying this is something that needs to be set apart and protected. And to do so with one's words, to do so with an oath. This is such a good thing that I swear that I'll do it, is what the sense is here. And this was Joshua's great sin when he rashly made a vow with the inhabitants of Gibeon who pretended to be another people. And what this teaches us is that when making vows, which is lawful in certain circumstances, such as entering a public office, uh, entering into a marriage covenant, entering into church membership, when we stand before the church and we swear that we will seek to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which we have been called, we don't take them lightly. God doesn't take them lightly. And you can't just say, well, I want to set that aside now. That is to speak rashly. We want to actually think about what we are doing and take them seriously. A third and final aspect of life where we need to not just act but think pertains to wrath. Verse 22, do not say, I will repay evil. Wait for the Lord and he will deliver you. So this is a temptation of the flesh. 
when we've been sinned against. It is to take matters into our own hands and repay evil for evil. And we may not physically repay, but we can become embittered and hold sin against others in our heart. But Scripture makes abundantly clear that it's not ours to repay. God says, that's mine. I will do it. God says in Deuteronomy 32.35, which is repeated in Romans 12.19 and Hebrews 10.30, vengeance is mine. I will repay. When we don't believe that God will repay, not merely acknowledging it in our heads, but believing in our hearts, that is when we grow bitter. We are dissatisfied with God's ways in that He is the one who gets to repay, and He does so in His own timing. Based on our own self-exalted wisdom, we murmur against God's ways and God's timing in executing His justice. But as Jesus reminds us in Luke 18, 7-8, will not God give justice to His elect who cry to Him day and night? Will He delay long over them? I tell you, He will give justice to them speedily. We may not think it speedily, but God says it is. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will He find faith on the earth? So we are to trust this. We are to, as this proverb says, wait on the Lord, which is another way of saying having faith, expecting from Him, looking to Him, being patient as we expect that He will do what He says. And when we do, then we are not only delivered from our bitterness, leading to us being way more miserable, but we are also delivered from the injustice done to us. God will most certainly repay and make all wrongs right. And so when we believe this, then rather being overcome with evil, we overcome evil with good. And the following verses in Proverbs actually helps us to believe that God is just. Verse 23, unequal weights are an abomination to the Lord and false scales are not good. We've seen this several times in Proverbs. This was uh, stated most recently in verse 10 of this chapter. Uh, the way God works through Proverbs is that he repeats something a little bit later to catch our attention. So we say, oh, wait a minute. I think I just heard that. Oh, I did. God must be wanting me to see this here. He wants to get my attention. Unequal weights and false scales bring us to the marketplace where someone alters the scale so as to charge a bit more or to represent as selling more than they actually are. In our day, it referred to shady or unjust business practices that lack honesty, integrity, and charity towards others. But it's repeated here in this spot because what God is doing after saying what He says in verse 22 is to say He is a God of justice. The Scripture is saying you can trust God to repay because He is a God of justice. If God strongly cares about how much grain is on a scale, then how much more the wrongs done to you? Then verse 24, a man's steps are from the Lord. How then can man understand his way? So a man cannot take a step in one direction unless the Lord grants it. They're from the Lord. 
But since all our steps, everything that happens in our life ultimately comes from the Lord. It's the primary, ultimate cause. And of course, there are secondary causes, free agents. But ultimately, from the Lord, we should not presume that we understand this story. As if we ourselves are the author of our own story. As if we ourselves wrote our own life. God wrote it. And so, how can we understand it? How can we look at it and say, well, this shouldn't have happened to me, or, or that shouldn't have happened to me. Job learned this lesson when, under great suffering, complained uh, to God. And God asked him, where were you when I created? And if he, understand, if he understands even the purpose for which every single thing was created. And then we turn to a wise human king's justice. Verse 26. A wise king winnows the wicked and drives the will over them. So notice that this is a wise king. This is wisdom. He will winnow out the wicked in his kingdom and drive them like wheat. Like threshing wheel over wheat to thresh it. And if this is the case with a human king, then how much more the infinitely wise king of kings. He will certainly do what is just. But why does God seem to be doing nothing and letting the wicked get away with their sin? Well, the next two verses answer that. Verse 27. The spirit of a man is the lamp of the Lord, searching all the innermost parts. This literally says, the breath of a man is the lamp of the Lord. I think this is referring to God breathing the breath of life into man. We saw back in Genesis 2, this is unique in that God exclusively breathed the breath of life into man, something he didn't do for his other creatures, something he didn't do for animals. There's a special relationship between God and man in distinction from all other creatures. Part of this is man having an inner conscience, which is called the lamp of the Lord. The lamp of the Lord is a metaphor for God bringing something to light, causing man to see something. The lamp of the Lord here is referring to his conscience because it goes on to say that this lamp searches all the innermost parts, causing man to see whether his thoughts are right or wrong. Paul puts this more clearly in Romans 2 when he says that the Gentiles, that is unbelievers who are not Jews and don't have the law, they weren't given the law on tablets of stone through Moses, it says that they do have the law and that they show that the work of the law is written on their hearts while their conscience also bears witness and their conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse them. This is the lamp of the Lord. The conscience within them that is either accusing or excusing them. Now man tries to snuff this out, but if there wasn't a lamp within them, then he wouldn't feel the need to justify himself and condemn others for perceived evil. Why the need to do that unless there's a conscience? And I think this is what's going on in our society right now and trying to take perverse things and normalize them and trying to get society to celebrate and accept them, even to the degree of trying to teach these perverse things to kids in school. Uh, it's trying to snuff out this lamp of the Lord within, trying to create a world where they feel no condemnation for their sin. 
where it's actually approved and approbated, trying to silence their conscience. This testifies to the lamp of the Lord that God has given them a conscience and so they need to find a way to justify sin. But this tells us that while we may think that God is doing nothing about people's sin and the wickedness done to us, God's lamp is burning within them, afflicting them, even though they're trying to snuff it out. In fact, the, the fact that they're trying to snuff it out shows that it's burning within. But why is God not doing more about it now? Why is God not utterly destroying them the minute they sin? Why do I have to wait a lifetime, perhaps, before I get justice for the things done against me? Here I am suffering, and this person seems to be getting away scot-free without punishment. Verse 28, steadfast love and faithfulness preserve the king, and by steadfast love his throne is upheld. So it's steadfast love and faithfulness, that is mercy and truth, that preserves a human king and upholds his human throne. A king may not only be a king, or must not only be a king of justice, he must also be a king of mercy, who withholds just asserts the people at times. And this is the way it is with the king of kings. God is not only a God of justice who will by no means clear the guilty. He is also a God who is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. That is abounding in mercy and truth. God is patient and enduring and does not execute His justice immediately. As Romans 2.4 says, God is being kind and patient because that is meant to lead sinners to repentance. God is a God who does not take pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked would turn from their ways and repent. That they would live. Have you ever thought that the reason God is not punishing the one who has sinned against you is because He is being patient with them? that they would be led to repentance. In the meantime, they are storing up wrath for themselves. But God is desiring their repentance. And is this not the reason that God did not pour out His wrath on us when we deserved it? When did we deserve His wrath? The, the, the minute we sinned, even at conception. Because of our federal head. But He was patient and kind with us and granted to us repentance and had His Son violently crushed in our place for our sins. Where would we be without God's patience and kindness towards us? Where would we be if God did not send His Son to take the justice that we deserve? Where would we be if God was not merciful towards us? Verse 29, the glory of, a young, of young men is their strength, but the splendor of old men is their gray hair. Now this may or may not fit into kind of what we're talking about here with, with Tim's, Tim's doing this here. doesn't say anything about a bald head. A thing that's talked about in 1 Kings, actually in, uh, favorable towards you because a couple of guys got eaten by a bear for making fun of a bald head, so I'll, I'll refrain. But this proverb could be in the stream of 
desiring justice and God's a God of justice because uh, younger men do tend to be more geared towards vengeance and and paying back. Uh, I heard an interview with Charles Barkley. Hopefully some of you know who that is. I'm sure some of you do. He's a famous uh, NBA basketball star from the 1980s and 1990s. Some of us old enough to, to remember that. And, and some of you, you, some of you kids know, right? Okay, yeah, they're, they're nodding. Um, he said that he had, had four instances where he uh, was arrested because he assaulted a fan, the NBA. He's kind of a hothead. And he said now that he's older and wiser, he realizes that was wrong, even though at the time it felt right, which is weird to think. You would think that even when you're young, you would know that's wrong, but evidently uh, he didn't. But he said that now he knows it's wrong, and after having to settle out of court each time and costing him, he he says, you know, I learned. As I got older and more naturally mature, I realized this is wrong. And so there is a sense in which, as we get older, we our impulses aren't as strong. We can kind of be more cool and level-headed. And so while it is a glory of young men to have strength, they could do things with their bodies that older men can no longer do, yet the splendor of old men is their gray hair representing that they have wisdom. And if you don't have hair, you may or may not have wisdom. Verse 30, blows that wound, cleanse away evil, strokes make clean the innermost parts. So blows such as the consequences that come through the providential hand of God, cleanse away evil in that it causes us to turn away from evil because of those consequences. It gives us a heart of wisdom to not do those things. Another way we say this is we learn from our mistakes. Of course, this is just the second use of the law. And the things that God puts us through, the hardships that he puts believers through, is called discipline. The hardships are not meant to punish us, but rather used by God to sanctify us, to cleanse away inner evil, to cause us to more greatly depend upon God, to seek him and draw near to him through his word and prayer. This is even the case when we wait upon God to give us justice, to trust Him to repay. To have to wait on that is a hardship. But imagine how easy it would be if God immediately repaid anyone who sinned against us. But even in the hardship of having to wait upon Him and be patient, God is sanctifying us while He is being patient with the wicked. But let us keep in mind, beloved, that it was ultimately the blows and wounds of another that cleansed us from all our evil and unrighteousness. Isaiah 53 declares to us that the punishment due to us for our sin was laid upon Him, and by His wounds we are healed. And this has forever removed the guilt of our sin because Christ took the punishment in full. The Gospel declares to us that the wounds that Christ suffered was sufficient payment for our sin. No more wounds are required. That certificate of debt that stood hostile and opposed to us has forever been set aside, nailed to the cross, and it permanently reads, Paid in full. 
Have you fallen into sin this past week? Have you fallen into egregious sin in the past as a believer? Have you screwed up today? Guess what that certificate of debt still reads? Paid in full. It will never change because the wounds of our Lord were completely sufficient to forever remove our sin. We can also trust that all our tears, sorrows, fears will forever be removed from us when we finally arrive in the new heavens and the new earth where nothing evil will ever again happen to us. But instead, our hearts will be filled with joy inexpressible and full of glory. That is our hope. And after this vapor of a life, we will, before you even know it, we will be there to see our Lord face to face. Amen. Let's pray. Oh, Father in heaven, we long for that day. Help us to be patient in the meantime, knowing that you will right all wrongs, knowing that if you were to give us justice, we would uh, face the same punishment as the ones who have sinned against us, eternal hell. But you have poured out that justice out on Christ. His wounds have forever healed us, and we stand forgiven. Help us to remember these things and let them be the guiding and driving force in our life. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. You have been listening to a message from Trinity Bible Church in Powell, Wyoming. To receive more information about Trinity Bible Church or to support the ministry, go to tbcwyoming.com. That is tbcwyoming.com.